Okay. Um, well, thanks very much, Lucy, and thanks to all of you for listening to that. And uh, I should say that this is a kind of, it's a short report. I mean, in a sense, it's about 15,000 words, but there's a huge amount in it, and Lucy's sort of given us the highlights, but you'll find much more when you go home. The pa our panellists here have had the advantage of having read the report before this evening. They haven't seen the slides, but they've read the report. And we're going to start with Tom um, Standage. And Lucy, you remember, put up a slide about the, um, the tech culture and the journalism culture. I think Tom's an unusual journalist in the sense that I think you have a kind of science background. An engineering. Uh, an engineering background. So you're a kind of hybrid journalist. Sense. I'm going to pass you the mic and over to Tom. Sure. Thank you very much, Lucy. Um, thank you for this report because um, I've stopped going to feature of news events because they've all become so boring. And this is, this is wonderful. It's refreshing and you're talking about different things. You're not talking about does Google and does Facebook owe us a living and they've broken our business model. It's their problem. They have to fix it. They need to give us more money. Can you make ad-supported revenue models work? Blah, blah, blah. It's all so tedious. So I just stopped going to them. And this is great because you're actually, you, your timing is brilliant. Um, you talked about the pivot to video, as lots of people tried. Uh, a phrase which I used on Twitter, which people seem to be using, is um, the pivot to reality. And uh, that seems to be what's going on at the moment, that, um, that the ecosystems are mature or maturing uh, to some extent. The uh, platforms are not going away, the ad revenue is not coming back. Uh, and some other quite interesting things are happening this year. Um, the Trump effect has, you know, has been great for subscription-based publications because lots of people are saying, um, you know, we need news organisations we can trust. And if anyone's going to find something on Trump, it's the Washington Post. So here, have some money. I think that's probably a, a part of it. There's also this. Um, uh, Kantar did this nice uh, bit of research a couple of uh, months ago, which found that uh, actually traditional print-based news organisations are the most trusted, which is great if you're one of them. Uh, but it also found, I thought much more interestingly and surprisingly, there's a sort of Netflix effect as well as a Trump effect, which is that the 18 to 34s are demographically much more likely than older readers, whether that's the group above them like me who grew up with the internet or the group above them like my parents. Um, to pay for news, and furthermore, to think they have a duty to pay for news on the internet. And this, I think, comes from the fact that they're already used to paying for music and paying for Netflix and so on. And um, the idea that good content is something you have to pay for, if you grew up, I think, with the internet in the 90s, then you were used to everything being free, but I think sort of the, the generation that has come after us has a different view. And that's extremely reassuring, because they feel they have a sort of civic duty to pay for stuff. So that's, um, that's an interesting shift. Another interesting shift we found this year is that uh, print ad revenues they're not expected to be strong, um, which I suspect has something to do with worries about ad fraud and placement of uh, ads. Is my ad appearing at all? Is it being shown to a bot? Is it next to jihadist videos, etc., etc.? Oh, screw it, I'll buy a print ad, because then I can show the CMO that it really came out um, and that it really was there and what it was next to. Um, we've obviously had these straws in the wind in the past couple of weeks with Mashable and you know, Vice and BuzzFeed and Oath and etc etc finding that their model doesn't work so all of this I think has really shaken the kaleidoscope this year and what had become rather a tedious discussion about business models we've kind of moved on from that and you're kind of laying out where the real issues are um, and so looking beyond that I think is great um, and all of these issues like staffing culture product discipline talent management organizational structure these are difficult problems um, and we are going to have to deal with them all um, so I think there are hopeful signs on a, a lot of fronts. I mean, personally, as, uh, as David pointed out, I'm an engineering student who went into journalism because 
um, the, the international, well, basically I went to do AI at Oxford and um, AI didn't work in the 1970s. <laughs> uh, it was a bit depressing. So, uh, but the internet was my ticket into journalism because nobody knew anything about it and I was using it. And so I ended up writing about it and then ended up um, doing this hybrid role of um, still writing about it, but also uh, doing strategy and that sort of thing, digital strategy at The Economist. So um, my experience has been that it is possible to, um, to bridge this divide in your head um, and you know there are people you you use the word sectors in the report uh, there are people at news organizations that can do this individually they can understand things like UX and product design they can also understand what will and won't fly in the newsroom um, the real difficulty is not just getting a few people like that to understand it but to get the whole organization um, to do that and I did a talk at hacks hackers um, about this a few months ago, essentially it's getting the hacks and the hackers onto the same page. If you're a hack and a hacker like I am, uh, and still even do a bit of coding, yay, convolutional, recurrent neural networks in the summer, um, then you could sort of break down the wall in your head, but the real challenge is to break down that wall within the organization. So I, I think it's really important that we shine a light on that, and I think it's also great that we've sort of moved on from the rather tedious and sterile discussions that we've been having for the past few years, so thank you. Uh, Renee, thank you, Tom. Renee Kaplan. Thank you. Um, someone who speaks faster than I. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but I, I can actually speak a bit slower because I'm, I'm going to say a few probably the same things that, that Tom mentioned. The first was this was such a good read, um, and you, you know, Reuters puts out lots of great reports, but they're often about the audience, reader habits, or products, and this is about organizations and. Um, just like readers who like to read about themselves, you know, I think organizations like to read about themselves. And, and one of your conclusive points I thought was spot on. You'll read this and you'll all say, yeah, we're doing that. But really, there is a notion of, yeah, we're doing it, but, but this is going to allow us to really sort of notice, maybe guiltily or sort of blindly, oh, wait, I do that, but I don't do that quite right, or these are the weak points. It allows us to figure out kind of which, what screws to tighten or sort of what moving parts to, to maybe switch out or replace. Um, so I, I made a list of a couple of what I thought were nuggets, um, some of which you mentioned here, some of which um, I might bring up and you'll read when you, when you touch on the report, and just to react a little bit to that. Um, the first is just in general about structural change. Um, is as much about just the symbol as about the process, right? Like structure and strategy, it's about process, it's boring, it's workflow, it's all the stuff that journalists really think is not their, not their work. But what they don't realize is that's also acting upon them in a very potent way, just the symbol of creating new teams, the symbol of creating an agile, maybe temporary team that comes in to do a project and goes away that sends out signals in a place that's meaningful to them and that, that they own that actually processes a bit different and it includes them and it's around them. And again, that's a cliche, but, but even talking about organizational change and structure as being a thing about innovation is, is really key. Um, the second thing is, hallelujah, you talk very little about the platforms. Um, and you do talk about them because it is important. But you know, one of the ways in which we all talked about the platforms is, is this anguishy fear around reach, and if, and if we can't work well with the platforms, or we need to work better with platforms, because without them we won't have reach. And interestingly, I think we're in a moment where, yes, we're never going to be able to do without reach and growth, but I think we're in a moment where increasingly we're, we're thinking more, all of us, about niche, and about the detail. And, and I think the notion of niche and details is not just about audiences, it's also about all our, all our respective processes and, and actually realizing that the micro wins and the micro changes and the incremental change 
And the things that are exhausting and that necessarily translate to the newsroom as a whole, or translate to like, what did you do with, you know, what did you do with your day today, honey? I don't really know. I did incremental change. But but those, those incremental changes then become something cumulative. As we know, like the marginal audience wins, become a big audience, big audience win. And these marginal procedural and structural changes become something that then, in a long-term strategy, actually is, has a really high impact. Um, understanding strategy. Um, I don't know if you mentioned that here, but you, you mentioned it in the report. The notion that actually everyone has to understand it for it to work, I think is really key. And even right down to the micro level um, in, in the newsroom, where you can talk about doing interactives or video or sort of data-driven visual things, but do people really understand why we're doing them? Why are we making this video, actually? Why are we doing 3D? Why are we doing why? And, and we, there's a presumption that because it's new, or because it's innovative, or just because it's digital is the reason we're doing it, but that's not going to get people on board, it's not going to get it to scale, it's not going to get it baked in, it's not going to get people educated into doing it themselves without the special teams that have to come in. So I think the understanding strategy as in like the objective, big picture is key, but, but right down to the micro level of understanding kind of every level of, of the small digital thing we're doing. Um, also because when it comes to strategy and the North Star and, and staying focused, the newsrooms, I think, in editorial in general, aren't very good at thinking about objectives. Well, I'm writing a great story. I've got a scoop. Um, I'm covering my beat. But that's a bit different from objectives. And there's still, I think, a cultural discomfort in talking about objectives when they're strategic objectives. So again, if, if, if we can make shared objectives relevant um, across the whole business, not just the newsroom, um, we're also doing a lot of really important cultural change. Um, you talk about combining tech and data, and and one of the points I was going to bring up about not just bringing tech and data into the newsroom is, is a point that, that Tom brought up. Um, it's also important to combine product and editorial. There's such friction there. There's such friction about who's taking the lead, who actually has a right of ownership, um, who's making the container with the thing that you fill it with, and who's making the vital, important content around which the product must be built. These are primal struggles that are still really active and really real, and finding ways to get increasingly aligned in our development um, is really important, and we're still not very good at that in, in, news, in businesses or newsrooms even. I mean, in fact, in the way that sort of our, our commercial side of business will often talk about um, um, that sort of single customer view. Um, really, ideally, we ought to be thinking across the whole organization about being ruthlessly audience first, the single audience view, and not the single product view, or even a single story view. I mean, newsrooms are just as guilty about being story first as, as product is guilty about, as, about being thing first. So finding ways to be sort of ruthlessly aligned around the audience and deciding how we can be collaborative and not competitive, I think is really, really key, and, and, you, and, you, and you talk about that quite a bit. Um, one final point. Um, most newsrooms are resource poor, and, and I'm going to take a very American approach to this and say, that's a good thing. Um, and the reason it's a good thing, actually, is because it forces you to not to be able to be obsessed with the shiny new things. Um, if I have one more person inside or outside my organization who says, hey, why aren't we on Snapchat? Um, I won't snap them, but I'll think about it. Because we're not on Snapchat because we don't have time or space. And in terms of our objectives, and in terms of our overall strategy, it's not the thing that makes sense now. Um, I was just thinking actually about the other sort of shiny new things that we passed on. Do you guys remember that, that chat app that came out about a year, year and a half ago called Peach? Neither do I really, but you know what? It was a thing for a while. Some publishers went in on it. For about 10 seconds it was important, and, and then it wasn't. 
And if I had had a really big team, if I had, you know, I would have maybe tried Peach, and maybe I'd be on Snapchat, but I'm not. And actually, that allows me, that forces us collectively as a business to be that ruthlessly focused and to remember, wait, how am I going to make my decisions? Oh, right, it's that North Star or that strategy. So resource poor is, is kind of good. Um, the last thing I want to sort of talk about is, or just mention as, as being a key point, and we just mentioned it now, is there, there is a level of, I think, fatigue um, around being change agents and bringing about cultural change because it's hard to talk about, it's hard to explain, it's hard to tell your mother what you do, it's hard to tell your friends what you do. Um, and, and one of the things that, that you cite as, as in the report is, as being important and necessary is, um, is, is constant reorg, or constant reorganization. And I was just telling Lucy, well, actually, that's a really bad idea. And she said, well, actually, that's your boss who said that. Um, so I, I, think, I think there's a level of, of, of symbolic reorg, which is important, i.e., we do need to be constantly thinking about explaining why innovation or new things has something in it for you. So I might sort of translate or, or reappropriate the constant real to constantly thinking about that when it's it, the what's in it for you-ism, um, explaining like why do you care about the objective? Why do you care about this new thing? Why do you care about any of the, of the hard to explain quite abstract notions? And you explain it in the what's in it for you way. And I think that's probably true across every part of the organization. Um, so thank you, Lucy, great report. Thank you, Renee. You pass the microphone to Chris, thank you. Thanks very much. Yeah, I, obviously I'd echo uh, what these guys have said. I think uh, the report backs up what's clearly your assumption that this is a really interesting moment to take a snapshot of what's going on in the industry. And I think what it captures is that moment where we've moved from going, ah, the internet, to ah, how does this work for us like, individually? And there's a kind of kaleidoscopic element to it, which I really enjoyed and I thought was really valuable. Um, I mean, I, again, I'd echo what Tom said. I think it's also timely in the, in, with Mashable and BuzzFeed uh, stuff recently. Uh, and I think that ties into one thing I'd say about it, which is although I totally agree with your thesis that we have a lot to learn from pure digital players, I also think it's important that we are more credulous, uh, less credulous rather than we are. Um, I think that our own industry media coverage is problematic in that respect too. Too often new platforms or things are covered without a kind of journalistic rigor. And the, the form of email I've come to dread more than any other at, at work is the one that's it's usually sent at 11 p.m. It's sent to a wide distro list. The subject line is always, this is interesting. And <laughs> the body of the email is a link uh, to a media covering organisation probably about a new thing from one of the platforms. Um, those things very rarely end well. Um, and partly because often there's no coverage of in fact what the impact of that thing is or whether it works even. Um, and on that point in terms of innovation, I think too often we mistake innovation for two things. Uh, on the development or plat uh, product side, I think new platforms and new things from the platforms, that's not just, you know, that's not the definition of innovation. And on the journalistic side, I think all too often we talk about innovation as being a long form article with a lot of video in it, um, and maybe an interactive. And I'm really tired of it, uh, and I want to see something more interesting. Um, I'm more interested in innovation in process and cultural change. Uh, so my job uh, is, is editor for strategic projects, so, so my job at The Guardian is literally to 
define what the strategy is and how it looks and how it actually works on the ground level. So um, almost all of that actually involves joining people up from different disciplines, and I think product in particular and, and development. Um, if we don't join those people up and if we don't have conversations, meaningful conversations between those disparate groups, then the chance for meaningful change is gone. Uh, it, you can't force these people uh, to uh, behave in a set way unless they understand each other. Uh, I was really interested by your point about societal responsibility. Um, I take the point, but I think there's also something interesting. The, the developers who come to work for us at The Guardian choose not to work for very large sums of money at banks or at Google or Facebook. Uh, they come to us because probably they have a societal sense of responsibility. And so one of the things that's really important to me is that we engage with them and allow them to have an impact on our journalism. If we don't, then we are throwing talent down the drain. And that's, that, I guess, comes back to your HR issue as well. Um, I've been working on the last year specifically about uh, trying to stop The Guardian writing too much journalism. Uh, and, and that project came about and has its roots in my former role as the audience editor, where I was constantly exposed to the data around our journalism and seeing too often, like pretty much any organisation, that we were producing so much stuff and lots of people weren't reading it. Now, the way in which I've structured that work, uh, it began in data, and the data is incredibly important for me to illustrate the scale of the problem and to measure it. But actually, the most important part of that process isn't me pointing at a graph. Uh, it, it came about through the fact that there is a philosophical piece of work behind it, which is, in moving from print, I think editors have lost that physical limitation. We think we've gone from print where we could only write so much to an environment in which we can write as much as we want. Uh, what we've done in doing that is we have handed away one of our key editorial tools, and that is the ability to say no. Every time we say no to a piece of journalism, we increase the impact of the piece which we said yes to. And so this work, I think, has worked not because I'm standing pointing at a graph and shouting at editors to do less, but because I've handed them the responsibility for this work because they believe it is an important part of our journalistic process and it's reclaiming something about journalism which is important. So, so much about getting these disparate groups to work together and tying data in and everything else is the narrative and making sure it really is uh, based in everything you do journalistically. Um, I was really interested in a quote from it, uh, from the report, uh, and then I, I suddenly feared that it might have come from my mouth. I hope not. But the quote <laughs> was, um, an editorial stakeholder's job isn't to be thinking about what are the capabilities and the technology. And this comes back to the role <coughs> of product and the way they interact with editors. I believe it is an editorial stakeholder's job to understand what the potentials of new technologies are. I also believe it is the product manager's job to help the editors understand what the potential of new technologies are. I also believe it is the editor's job to listen to them. And it is the editor's job to explain to the product manager why we create journalism and how we do it. And it is the product manager's job to listen to them, humbly. Um, the reason that product is an issue within a news organisation, as distinct from Facebook, is in the Facebook feed, 
nobody actually cares what the content is. They are simply capsules which behave in different ways according to their metrics. In a news organisation, we absolutely care about what each capsule is. And that means the product and the editorial roles have to work together if we are to make cultural change. And also, good products, better journalism as well. Um, I think I've probably talked for too long. Um, Only just. <laughs> all right. Um, thank you very much to all three of you. I'm just going to throw a question to all three panelists, or two questions, and you can take your choice of which one you want to answer before I open up to discussion with lots of very well-informed people in this room. Um, there are two things. I mean, two things I want to know whether, as I say, pick which one you like. Lucy's focus on HR as being absolutely critical. Uh, Chris mentioned it, but I don't think the other two of you did. Do you agree with her? Is it true? And, and what does it mean in terms of your organisation? So you can take that. Or the other one that I was a bit struck by in the report, um, Lucy had a very, and she didn't present it in the slides here, but she had a, a, a strong statement about leadership, both about the importance of leadership, but also she had this statement, the era of the leader as digital visionary is waning. Organizations now get the need for change. The leadership challenge centers on finding the right long-term strategy. And she's, she ends the, that particular quote saying, the leadership imperative has progressed past the need to issue calls for digital action to hard-nosed implementation by implication, something a bit more boring, if you like, than the kind of digital visionary stuff. So either the changing nature of the digital leader or HR. Um, let's go in the order in which you spoke. and. Um, Tom, you can choose which of them you want to respond to. I thought I did respond to the first one, so that was easy. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. don't, just don't call it HR because that makes, makes yeah. people's eyes glaze over. When you say it's about talent management, I think they understand a bit better what you mean, but obviously it's important. I think on uh, the other point about the nature of leadership and how you communicate the vision, um, yes, just having sort of someone get up with a whole load of slides and say, hey, everyone, we're digital now, this is what we're going to do. Um, it's really important, and I think you know this has been touched on the report, and uh, Chris just touched on it as well. Um, the uh, the whole question of the um, how you align everybody around the strategy. Uh, that's really what it means in practice. Um, and um, I remember I was very struck. I was on a Radio 4 documentary, I think it was analysis, that Andrew Brown did a few years ago. And he was at the Guardian, and he still is, isn't he? And uh, it was about um, ads and the ad supported business model and ad blockers and how it was a really, really bad idea. And about halfway through making the documentary, he realized that that was the Guardian's business model. <laughs> and uh, it had never occurred to him before. And I, I said to him, you know, and he was saying, I'm gonna to have to tell everyone it work, you know, this is terrible. And um, it seemed that it was a sort of point of pride, at least among the bits of the newsroom that he was talking to, not to pay attention to the business model of the Guardian, because that would be bad. That would be violating church and state and, uh, and so on and so on. Um, and I think there has been that sort of mentality that's probably a gross caricature of what was happening. But this kind of, that's not our problem. And furthermore, it's inappropriate for us to think about the strategy, I think is wrong. Um, because I think it is, you know, and the other thing is that we as journalists are very uncritical. You know, we say, well, the steel mills have all closed down and no one owed them a living. And this car, you know, if, if, if you can move jobs offshore, you know, if, if journalists can be quite hard-nosed about things. But when it's their own industry, it's so, oh, no, but we're really important. We need subsidies from the government or whatever, or Google needs to be nicer to us or whatever. The, um, so there is this strange, there is this strange double standard. So I, I think um, understanding what your strategy is in the newsroom uh, and communicating that throughout is, is very important so that everyone is aligned on that. Uh, we did We've done some uh, some sort of strange things in this uh, area. Probably the one that springs to mind is um, when we 
stepped up our video operation. Video, it's a very good question, why are you doing video? Most news organisations, I suspect, don't know. I think they're doing it because they feel they ought to. Um, I was asked by the editor-in-chief to pitch our video strategy in the editorial meeting as though it were a leader. In other <laughs> words, why are we, do so in the same way that when we're doing a cover on something, you know, why we should say this about that, you know, why inheritance tax is, is, is you know, not a bad kind of tax with our cover this week. Um, so I had to actually lay it all out as if I was pitching a leader on, you know, why this merger should we be allowed to go, to go ahead or, you know, why this company has a good or bad strategy. I had to pitch to the newsroom what our video strategy was and why we're doing it and lay it all out as though it was, because, you know, we scrutinise company strategies all the time and we should scrutinise our own strategy just as strongly. So I think um, there isn't an answer to what leadership looks like in this, but it's, uh, it's going to be lots and lots of different ways. But the main characteristic it will have is aligning everybody around the strategy and making sure that everybody knows it and they can't sort of turn a blind eye to it anymore. Thank you. Renee. Thank you. Um, agree with Tom. Um, HR is complicated because I think for many people it means like there's my no good time for it. I, well, I think, I mean, because, and then talent feels very yeah. not editorial. I think it's, it's but people, I, I think people, it's, 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 well, I think it's, it's skills. And in fact, I think, I think it can even be helpful and destigmatizing to think of it as hiring and skills and skill sets. Um, and it is complicated and we are, we do envy the pure players, right? Because it, they could create, you know, they could create things ex nihilo and from the magma emerged Google culture and and Vox culture, and yeah. um, and yeah. now this culture, and you know we're struggling with this idea of having to reinvent. We can't actually just um, you know go through. Um, you know, I sometimes think of um, the Michel Gondry film, um, um, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Wouldn't it be great if we could sort of erase all of the ways we'd always thought about journalism and, and keep the same people to whom we owe pensions and longevity and loyalty, but just get them to think of Lee <laughs> Well, we, we can't. So we have this challenge of having to sort of think about, about three things. One is um, conversion, because we do need to keep and change and update and renew this talent in the same way that we, we, we do our, our journalism. And, and so we, we need to think about helping people to move forward and, and, and be as high performance as they were in a time when they knew things better. The second thing is, yeah, we do need to bring in new talent. Um, and bringing in new talent and bringing in new skill sets is often complicated because actually on a very basic level, we know we need that skill set and we think we do, but we actually don't know what to get them to do. We don't know actually where they fit. We don't know what to do with them once they arrive or how they manage or how they get managed or whom they report to or even more importantly, this is the third thing, what is the career path for these, this new skill set? You can create um, a whiz-bang newsroom with a perfect mixture of converted skills and old skills and new skills but there's no career path for all the new skills in, in the traditional newsrooms, and frankly, in the traditional organizations. And that's super important if you want to retain um, product and dev skill sets that could be paid a lot more elsewhere, um, or indeed sort of you know, restless, younger digital natives who could also be thinking, well, what do I become in two years or three years or five years from now? Um, and I don't know. So thinking those things through now is really important um, and really, really hard. Um, and the second answer is very simple. I don't, implementation in terms of leadership is absolutely key. Vision will always be important. People need to be carried forth. They need to be inspired. They need to love, they still need to love the editor. Um, they still, they still, or hate, or when something needs to, something needs to be driving them forward. And I still think it's, it's very much a kind of people vision led thing that does more than ever obviously need to be translated into implementation because, because of de data and metrics now. We know how things are really performing, but I just think vision is still really important. Thank you. Chris? Uh, I'm going to pick up directly from that because uh, Kat Vine has only 
week and a half ago published her, her kind of purpose for The Guardian. And I think it's uh, a really interesting document because uh, it is open, it embraces the kind of strategies that we are talking about on the business side, uh, but it feels inclusive to our journalists and our developers as well. And I think that kind of clarity of expression around our purpose is, or any organization's purpose, is incredibly important. And I think she was right in saying that we, we felt like we got to a point where everybody kind of knew what The Guardian meant, but we needed to restate it at this point. Um, I, 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 I want to talk about changing people rather than hiring them as well. Um, so when I started on uh, content reduction, as it was ugly termed, uh, the first desk I started with was intentionally one which I felt was going to be a bit scary. Uh, a particular editor who uh, is admired around the newsroom, not necessarily renowned for being digital, was just a brilliant journalist. And I knew that, partly, I knew that I would succeed more generally if I managed to persuade her to uh, work with me on it. And also, if I managed to persuade her that I wanted to listen to how I should implement the strategy and how it should be informed you know, by her behaviour. Um, the value of taking that person and getting them on board and changing their behaviours, I think is more important than hiring somebody brilliant, uh, even if they're brilliant. Uh, it, it made a huge shift in the newsroom uh, and it marked a really important moment for me and for that particular project. Um, the other thing I think that's really important around HR is giving people the time to engage. The, the news has an awkward habit of kind of happening all the time. Um, and so there is always a good excuse not to go to the hack day, not to go and speak to a developer. And, uh, you know, for want of a better word, newsroom culture can be really macho, you know, that kind of, you must always be on. And, and I think we probably need to build processes to make sure that that changes. If our national news editor is too busy to feed into digital strategy around our journalism, we are failing the whole organisation. Uh, and we need to help them have the time to do that and feel validated. Thank you very much.